Shri Sai Ram, dear listeners, and welcome to Tris with Divinity. My guests today on the 4th of November 2017 are Mrs. Geeta Umesh and her husband, Mr. Umesh Rao of Bangalore. This is an interview that I have been running in my head for quite some time for quite a few reasons, which you will enjoy discovering along with me over the next few hours and I promise you about that. The Rao's have had long and meaningful engagement with the Sai mission. And I knew that we would all stand to learn much from their journey with Sai. By way of a brief introduction, let me just say that Mr. Umesh Rao and Mrs. Geeta Umesh have been in the Sai fold since 1963. Mrs. Geeta Umesh holds a master's degree in economics. She is a trained Bharatanatyam dancer and she is quite an esthete who has dedicated her life to Sai mission in various roles including as a Balvika's guru and a landscaper. Currently, she is the head of the counseling department at the Sri Satyasai Institute of Higher Medical Sciences in Whitefield, Bangalore and her husband Mr. Umesh Rao is the senior consultant and mentor in the same department. Apart from his counseling and mentoring, Mr. Rao is also the chair and managing director of Lotus Energy System and an alumnus of the Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore. Geeta ji and Umesh ji, loving Sairam to both of you and a very warm welcome to Radio Sai. Sairam. I can't begin to tell you how good it feels to finally have you with us this afternoon. It is definitely Swami's divine will that we are here. Yes, I totally believe that because yes. I think everything in the studio is run by our scheduler, master designer and director. Yes. And that is Bhagwan Sri Satyasai Baba. I truly believe that. He picks the date and the time when Always. this should happen. Yeah. So. And I will also share a secret. We just randomly record and in a sequence and edit our interviews and air them as they come up mm-hmm. one at a time. first recorded first aired kind of basis and we have no idea about people's personal dates which means something to them but invariably many things gets aired on the day which is most meaningful to that Aww, guest so awesome. this place is run by a different power altogether and to that power we bow with so much of love and gratitude yeah. so i'm going to begin with you sir mr umesh rao you come from such an illustrious family and it was in your dna you were meant to live a life of serving because of your father dr sundar rao who was so dedicated a medical professional who was an ophthalmologist who was already dedicated to serving so coming to swami seemed like a natural progression yes very much so because my father was always spiritually minded spiritual true in the sense that it was a combination of being drawn to the cosmic consciousness if you want to take that as a definition of spirituality and a commitment to work and to service combination of this was what was in his dna which i think he passed on but what uh, really drew us to swami per se was something that happened in our lives in the year 1963 and you were a young man in your 20s uh, i was in the us at that time i see and uh, perhaps it's a sense of regret that i was not there during uh, that period of 63 to 68 because it was in the end of 68 that i returned to india from the us and that's when i first saw swami although i heard about him from 63 onwards that my family had uh, been So what happened in 1963? So that is what I'd like Geeta to uh, narrate because she was involved with Swami and how we came to Swami right from the year 63. And you were a little girl then. I was 13 years mm-hmm. old and uh, my husband and I are related. We are second cousins. I see. So we all come from the same family. Ah, that's where the good looks come <laughs> from. <laughs> so it all started with my nephew Gautam. He was about 4 years old at that period and he was the son of Professor and Narendra mm-hmm. and Ushaka Ushaka was my husband's sister and uh, he just received a note from school saying that suddenly he'd lost some amount of his vision and the parents didn't take it very seriously at that point because both professor narendra and his wife ushaka were myopic you know they had wearing glasses so they thought maybe my child has developed it at a very young age and ushaka's father that is my father in law dr mb sundar rao was a very well known well renowned eye surgeon so as parents they said we are going to bangalore in any case during the vacation so we'll just take the child there and have him checked that's where it ended at that point and gradually we just started losing his sight but never complained even once that he couldn't see so by the time they brought him to my father-in-law my father-in-law was really shocked he was the grandfather of yes, the child yes he was the first grandchild of the family uh-huh. and such a beautiful baby 
with large eyes and flawless skin and so talkative so intelligent so uh, my father realized it just didn't have to do with the eyes but it had something to do more with his central nervous system and so his very close friend was uh, dr varma so he took the child there and at that period neuroscience was at a very infant stage we are talking about 63 and various tests were performed which were very painful but ultimately dr varma mentioned that i don't think there's a cure for this illness and around the same period as when my husband was in the us he was in minneapolis then very close to mayo so he said send the reports and we'll have it all checked out here but then even from there the reply was medical field had closed all its doors for this particular problem and they diagnosed it as demyelination of the central nervous system so they said well right now the defect is only with the site but we never know which way this is going to turn and the doctors just gave my nephew 6 months time oh how sad yeah that's where we were and you know when all doors and windows are shut from medicine we were a very spiritual as well as a religious minded family so we just started praying very hard for our nephew gautam and a far relative of ours came and mentioned this to my in-laws as well as to vijus paternal grandparents Vijus or gautam gautam swami named him vijay sai okay. later on so we should call him viju okay because he said gautam let it end now i'm going to name you vijay sai the victorious one mm-hmm. and by that swami meant this would be his last birth mm-hmm. no more birth for vijay mm-hmm. but we took it as he's going to be cured mm-hmm. at that point but of course time went by and we got to know about baba through a very far off relative of ours she said here is this baba from andhra puttaparthi and we've seen miracles happen by him he's made uh, lame people walk and given vision to people so you, at that point you just grasp at anything which is offered and as i said um, you know we do come from a religious spiritual minded family some of the elders who did not want to get into any of these miracles and so they were a little hesitant coming from the scientific field but when there is no hope you just try to see okay where else can we go for and that's how the first visit was by professor narendra ushaka his wife and his parents in chennai swami was visiting sri ishwar's house and that's where the whole place was so jam packed with people and they were living in adayar at that point gandhinagar so the little nephew was taken there and professor narendra has written a very beautiful article because of the crowd he couldn't see baba the only thing which he could see was the faces of the people who were seeing baba mm-hmm. and he says it looked as though the sun had just risen <laughs> looking at the face of the devotees because suddenly there was light on everyone's face at that point he said this must be definitely a divine source mm-hmm. and then he turned around he got a glimpse of swami and fortunately for the family swami called them all in for the interview they went in a very sad state of mind but only a miracle happened inside that interview room because every member of the family walked out of that interview room with a smile on their face the problem was still there but there was something so spontaneous the unconditional love of swami mm. which touched every member of the family and they came out with a beaming smile mm-hmm. with hope and ever since not a single day has passed where the family ever lost hope they were always so hopeful and swami kept hope alive and that's the first lesson i learned as a child of 13 and that's what we have actually integrated into counseling the sai way so what did swami tell them about the child i think he said not to worry that they have come at the right time and he would take care complete care of gautam i mean at that point he was called gautam and he reassured every member of the family that a new journey had just then begun and truly it was so because professor narendra's father was the president of the lions club so the social circle was very vast and my father in law was the president of the rotary club in bangalore so he again had a very large group of friends 50% of the time used to go away in basically interacting towards something good towards a social cause no doubt and the remaining 50 of course towards the profession to which they were committed to and they were very well known in their circles but the moment swami touched our lives i think there was definitely a transformation and for how much longer did uh, vijay sai live after that well the doctors had given him only 6 months right. but he lived to be 16 
And that was a journey which was full of hope, surrender. These are the lessons we learned because of Vijay Sai. And finally, Swami said, He is your guru because He brought the entire family to me. Hmm. That soul came yes. to the family to draw you all to Him. Absolutely. And Swami also said, He's taken birth so that He will never have another rebirth. Mm-hmm. And Swami did not give any false hopes or false promises at that point. But at every point, whatever was needed was what Swami gave. You know, at that point, they needed this reassurance that he would live longer than six months mm. and that things can brighten up. Though physically, Vijay Sai's health started deteriorating, I think the entire family's focus, the center of everyone's focus was the love which we received from Swami and the love which we do receive from Swami. Because no matter where Vijay Sai was, Swami would come walking all the way, talk to him. And at every point, he would give us hope by giving a little bit of vibhuti, a tender smile. And his blessings was constant on the entire family, but more so on Vijay Sai. I think this kind of focused attention which we received from divinity, our family was truly blessed. And the cause of it was Vijay Sai. Was accepting his passing on heart? Well, actually, I think by then the entire family was so dedicated towards service to Swami and uh, Professor Narendra actually was already the principal of Baba's college at Whitefield, at Whitefield, Brindavan. And his passing away was, of course, around the period of 1974. Swami had left for Bombay and when Swami returned from Bombay on March 9th, 1974, Mama was busy at college and when he returned home, he realized that Vijay Sai's temperature had gone up. It had gone up to almost 105 degrees. A doctor was sent and the next day he developed some amount of rigors and he became unconscious. And the third day on 11th is when he passed on. The Baba was in Puttaparthi. He said we should bring Vijay Sai to Puttaparthi and have him cremated at the Chitravati. So the cremation happened there and after we returned, after Narendra Mama returned back, he went back straight to college. Immediately he rejoined duty because the pre-university board exam was on. There's no way in which he could slip up. And that's something which I learned from him. That's a kind of dedication also which the family had towards anything which was given to them as seva or work by Swami. And Swami immediately the very next day he visited our home. And I think having Swami in our lives made things so easy for us to accept He came home and he said, you should be distributing sweets. You should rejoice today because Vijay Sai has come to me. He's attained moksha. Changes your perspective completely, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And but beautifully, Swami explained the whole thing. He said, this child has had just remnants of karma, which he had to complete. Yeah, clear in this birth. So such souls select the parents, select the timing, and they're born to parents who will keep them close to God. And He has brought you close to God. So He is actually your guru. So there's no point in weeping over this. These were Swami's words given around that period to us. And it made us perceive things so differently because we did see His physical body deteriorating Mm. gradually because not only did He lose His sight, except for His hearing, He'd lost every other faculty. And Swami said, see, he only had one faculty, that of hearing, and that's all that you need to become one with God. That was another great learning for us. Because people would come to us to kind of console the parents. But the moment they entered the room where my nephew was, where Vijay Sai was, there was some amount of energy emanating from the child, which would heal them and they would leave with a smile on their face. This was the kind of gift Swami bestowed on us. And I think we all took it as a great blessing that we could be of some service to a child like that. Vijay passed away at 74. He had the younger brother Bharat and Vidulata was his sister. So he just loved them. And the moment we would go to him and read stories to him, he would respond. It it wasn't as though he wasn't cognitive of what was going on. You know, he was conscious of all that which was being Mm -hmm. said. He would laugh at jokes. And the most important thing was he loved bhajans. So our day would start with the Omkar, the Suprabhadam, which, you know, even if not for our sake, we would play it for Viju's sake. Mm -hmm. Because he was very, very keen on all of that and bhajans every evening. And the moment he heard from people that Baba has come to Brindavan, he would just laugh. Out of joy. Out of joy. And then that would mean morning and evening, driving him to Whitefield for Darshan and Swami coming and talking to him. Morning and evening, Swami would come and talk to him. Very dramatic entry into the Saifu. It is, yes. 
but appears like it had a very positive impact on the whole extended Absolutely, family. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. I think Swami took care of the trauma part of it because they normally say, you know, when there is a traumatic event in one's life, the loving grace and compassionate hold of someone kind of makes that trauma less hurtful. For sure. It's the anesthesia. Yes. And that's how Swami kept us throughout. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we didn't face challenges, other type of challenges in life. He kept testing whether we surrendered to Him completely or not. But definitely, I think the spirit of surrender was something which got ignited Mm -hmm. at every stage, at every challenge. I see. And sir, what about yourself? You were witnessing all this happening uh, to your sister's son. Yes. Uh, sitting about uh, half the world away. Yeah, in the US, but you but, were uh, in touch and you had contacted the Mayo Clinic. Uh, yes, but staying in touch in those days was not as easy. I as know, as, no you WhatsApp, know, no email. Uh, yes. No email, nothing. So we had to correspond only by mail, regular post, and maybe a, an occasional call because then it was an act of God that, you know, Mm. The trunk call went trunk through. call and all kinds of lightning calls and so mm. on. But nevertheless, you know, and once in 67, uh, Damodar Rao came to the U.S. in connection with the Lions Club uh, conference or something. And that was when I got a first-hand uh, narration of uh, what had been happening. And of course, by that time, I had uh, already checked with the Mayo Clinic and we had accepted the fact that this was something in the realm of medicine and they didn't have a positive cure and they said, look, uh, all we can do would be try some experimentation on him and uh, you're in India, the neurosurgeons and the neurophysicians, uh, Dr. Varma, there used to be a very famous uh, neurosurgeon in Chennai, Dr. Ramurthy and both of them have seen him so we cannot add anything more. So when that was said, I said, you know, that door is closed. And as Gita said, we then start looking at other venues and how can we overcome what has happened to this little child. And the way the events started happening, I couldn't believe my eyes that, uh, you know, the family was getting to accept it. And, uh, you know, they're mentally at peace, accepting gradually, you know, what was happening and uh, not letting the negativity pervade. See, that was the most That's important thing. That's a huge thing. deal. That yeah. is a, absolutely a huge deal. It is. And that is what triggered my interest in what was the force that triggered this? What, what brought about this change? Change of perception and attitude. Yes. And many families would be wallowing in self-pity, absolutely. losing faith in God under the circumstances. Absolutely, yes. Blaming God, losing faith in God. And that uh, people would add, you know, your relatives, your close friends would come and feel sorry with you. And, and that would make you feel even more miserable. So it was in a kind of a general scenario. You find something that is so sublime and so pure. It is a totally different experience and I always wondered sitting there as to what is happening. But then I was not in a position at that point in time because my career had just started to come away, Hmm. move to India. And so for me, for everything, a time has to come and that Hmm. happened to me in the end of 68 Mm -hmm. when I came to India. And I think within a couple of weeks or even a week, Swami was in uh, Bangalore Mm -hmm. or in Whitefield. The first uh, darshan that I had mm-hmm. of Swami was in Bangalore at a devotee's house where they had used to have those bhajans. My father-in-law met uh, Swami first time <coughs> at Dr. <coughs> Padmanabhan's house. Uh, that's where he was introduced because they were uh, together in the Rotary Club as well as doctors uh-huh. in the field and that's where he met uh, yeah. Swami. Yeah, Mrs. Vijayarangam was a, a dedicated bhajan singer in those days at uh, Brindavan and uh, at her house Swami had visited and my father took me there. So I was just sitting at the doorstep, you know, where Swami was to enter and bhajans were going on and this was going to be my first glimpse of mm-hmm. Swami and I still remember that whole episode very, very clearly. He got down from the car in the portico and walked in And then when he stepped onto the threshold, I was sitting uh, to his right. And I was looking at him with folded hands. And his eyes connected with me, with my eyes. And held on for about maybe 30 seconds or so. And father was saying something about my son. Uh, He's just come from the US back for good. And Swami just held that. And that I think was the change. That instant, if you want to call that 15 second or 30 seconds period. When I said, yes, what I see in those eyes, now I can believe all the transformation that has happened. Because there was something in that, you want to call it a combination of love, compassion, mm-hmm. 
motherly look or you have come back to my fold whatever it is i don't know but and that was the connect which changed the whole thing and uh, to use a very cliched statement you know that period when i came back from the us i was really riding a very high horse in the us and a green card and all of that stuff you know had a very good job so i thought i was you know statement goes he came he saw and instead of he conquered <laughs> i was conquered <laughs> <laughs> so that is what happened uh, right then mm. the, it was just that I was totally conquered. So, thirty-second transformation. Thirty-second transformation. <laughs> Very quick turnaround time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. With Swami, I guess. But you know, you don't know. Time then stands still. Yeah. When Swami looks into your eyes. Yes, and that very deep, penetrating look. Yeah, I think many of us can relate to that look. Yes. So yes, this I'm was sure. 1968. The end of 68. 68, yes. and then 1970, you ended up marrying. Yes. Gita. Gita, yes. But between see, uh, 69 was also a very momentous year for me and uh, for the whole family because uh, Vijay Sai was still very much alive, and uh, I got to live with him, play with him, and bring him on to Vrindavan for darshans mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, and that was the period when Swami used to visit our house. We haven't even kept track, track. of how many times he's visited our homes. Where your home in? Is in Bangalore. Bangalore, in Alsur Road. Uh-huh. It was uh, an old uh, bungalow which we had rented. Mm-hmm. And Swami used to. I'm sure he was coming there much earlier than '68. But after I went there, I uh, had that experience of his coming in uh, so often. We used to live in Jai Mahal, and Usha Kannadar Mama was staying in Alsur, mm-hmm. where my oh. father-in-law had his private practice as well. So it was a very huge uh, bungalow. No, that was the incident that happened in '69 mm-hmm. before we. We got married. This mm-hmm. was sixty-nine uh, when uh, I came. Swami had been after my father apparently during this sixty-three up to sixty-eight period of uh, saying uh, you are still living in a rented house. Uh, that's not good for you. Got to get yourself and build a house. And it so happened at that time my father had uh, operated upon the uh, I think the wife or the mother of the uh, chairman of City Improvement Trust Board. You know there are lots sites in Bangalore. And so he just asked my father, "Do you have a site?" The chairman and said, "No, I don't have a site." And what is this doctor here? I'm giving you a site in Jai Mahal. He didn't even know what it was, where it was. This is just after Swami had started bugging him, you know, about mm-hmm. getting a place to build a house. And so then again, Swami was after him. to get the site and build the house and that's how the house in jaimal got started in uh, 1969 and uh, 69 swami came and did the uh, grow preparation for that house is that where you still live and yes. we used to live we there but we still have a we have that there. as our office now and swami insisted that my husband build his own house too and so that was when we had the grow preparation for the first house when he came in 1969 i see he asked me when are you building your house <laughs> i said swami i haven't even thought my dad is barely built his <laughs> so but anyway he just just laughed and passed on but you know being related I was present there during the Grah Pravesh, and you know the master plan was already in place in Swami's mind, I guess. But uh, after that, I left for Ahmedabad because my father was transferred there. And uh, when we were returning from Bombay, uh, he kept goading uh, my in-laws, saying, "When is your son getting married? When is your son getting married?" Uh-huh. And uh, he had received a couple of proposals from Bombay, and Swami said, "She's coming. She's coming from Bombay." And I had already caught the train mm-hmm. from Bombay. So we didn't know he was meaning me because we were too closely related. But uh, he selected the bride and asked my in-laws to send for my father and said, "I will perform the wedding." And he was away in Gujarat in 1970 around May. And he told the Gujarat and Kutch Maharani there, saying, "No, no, I have to perform Dr. Sundar Rao's son's wedding, so I'm leaving." So every time, even now, when Didi meets me during darshan, she says. You are the cause why Swami didn't stay on for longer with us. It's because of your marriage that he had to come away so early. And he performed a wedding. He selected the date. He selected the bridegroom, and he said, "I'll take care of the marriage." And during those days, we didn't have the seva dals, and you know, it just used to be bhajans around the tree in uh, Brindavan, Sairam Shet. By then, my father-in-law was a quite a well-known figure there in Brindavan. So it's Dr. Sundaraj's son's wedding. So let's all go, and everybody was there, you know, <laughs> as our guests. And uh, he performed our wedding inside the old bungalow. 
the old Thrai. I mean, it wasn't called Thrai. Mohan Palace, I think, is what it was called. That's no, where no, no, no. he performed the marriage. And that was the first marriage in the family which Swami performed. And some of our extended relatives were not uh, very sure about the discipline which Swami expects from all of us. So we had to keep training them to speak in very low voice. And they, you know, generally, there's this teasing of the bride and the bridegroom. And Swami you know, didn't put up with any of that. So he came out of his room and he said, what is all this noise? And I was standing right there. But then looking at me like thousands of mothers love, he just shouted on me and says, take, take my Pada Namaskar. <laughs> so the banging was for the general public. So Not I mean, these are me. little, little things which, you know, looking at me and I was so scared that people were annoying Swami. But uh, this was his reaction. And every little detail he took care of during a wedding. I mean, just can't imagine right from putting a napkin in the holder for people to wipe their hands. I mean, that kind of love... The other part of it, the omnipresence, uh, was also so beautifully shown to us by Swami uh, during our wedding time. When I came back to India in 69 and 70, we got married by that time. I knew a lot about the experiences of my father, my uncle Damodar Rao, Professor Narendra and so on. And I think typically in those days, Swami used to give a gift of Navaratna or some very flashy type of rings, as we called it flashy in those days, to devotees. And um, just before the wedding, I was telling my uncle Damodar Rao and to Narendra, See, I don't like all those flashy jewelry. I hope Swami doesn't give me one on my wedding day, which is, you know, hard for me. At that time, having come back from the US and with very set styles and so on. And so during the wedding, typically Swami materialized the Mangal Sutra for her and which we did. Then he looked at me and smiled. Then he materialized a ring and he looked again mischievously and this is what you wanted. And so he gave me this ring, a plain silver heart with a gold bust of Swami in it mm. and that's it there are no gems and it's not flashy by any yardstick <laughs> no not at all the base is heart shaped with Swami's bust and Swami's got his hand yeah, up and right Abba, Abba hand Yasta, up yeah. and that's what he gave and put it on my I must fingers. say it's shining a lot the metal has not tarnished no and it's about 47 years old <laughs> they have not taken it off my finger uh, possibly shifted it from this to this or whatever but uh, other in than fact that, even uh, when he had his surgery that's the only thing he requested the doctor that he should retain the ring which Swami had given him because mm-hmm. normally yes. they ask him to remove yeah. all metals. Yes. yes, and I said, I have to have this on. Do what you want. Wrap it up with whatever kind of material mm-hmm. but it has to be on. So mm-hmm. Anyway, that was uh, something that, uh, you know, which was obvious that he must have listened into our conversation the previous uh, day or the couple of days previous to that. But it was such a thing that it still stays in our uh, memory as to his omnipresence. One other uh, aspect, uh, how Swami, when a devotee gets totally surrenders himself and gets immersed in Swami's work and service, that sometimes you don't take care of your own needs, Hmm. typical your responsibilities, needs and so on. And I mentioned to you that when he came for our uh, Grapravesham of my father's house, which again my father had delayed getting that uh, built in 69 uh, in 82 83 he started getting after me when are you building your house and start virtually hounding me at that point did you get aside did you get aside so in 84 when three was being built at the same time and after the inauguration of uh, three simultaneously our house in Artinagar, which Swami again selected the site, did the drawings, went over it, relocated rooms and all of that. He came for the privation of that house also. And that is where we live now. One incident in that privation, which I'm kind of wanting to narrate in both the incident itself, but which had an immense learning for us as part of our learning for our counseling thing is, Swami's, you know, attitude of humility, absolute humility was so touching in so many instances. And this was one case where he came, there was a whole, you know, typical Grapravesham, lot of relatives, friends, guests and all, Swami comes in and then he comes, look around and then he's got his, uh, you know, typical look, wants to see the house, but then he says, so everybody's here too crowded, I'll come another day. <laughs> and then he says, let me go to the puja room. Then and so we t- take him to the puja room, which he himself had uh, designed. designed. Which direction may I ask? Puja, puja room faces, faces east. Faces east, the house faces not yet. 
we had the puja room initially designed so that it was upstairs uh, to also help me with the balavikas we thought we'll have a separate staircase leading upstairs mm-hmm. to the puja and the balavikas mm-hmm. but swami said don't have it there and he specifically said this is the spot where you should have your mm-hmm. puja mm-hmm. And later on, much later, we have a neighbor who kind of reads ley lines, divine's water, and uh, A.K. Ramachandran. So he mentioned that there was a direct ley line, energy line, leading towards the puja where we had shifted. Hmm. So that was an interesting story. But when Swami came into the room, he looked at it, and then, you know, typically Radha Krishna was his driver those days. Hmm. So Radha Krishna was standing behind a little bit. And he turned around to Radha Krishna and said, Give me the bag. And he brought a little. So he said, You know, for this occasion, I brought a very small gift for you. Oh dear, that's so sweet. So he comes in, he doesn't want anybody to hear, just the two of us. And he takes out the statue of Krishna and he says, This is a small token of I think for your Grahapravesha. The way, the mannerism, you know, in which he said that, gave it. It was, you know, when you look back and say, How have we become counselors. If you analyze all of those incidents, the learning that happened over a period of years. You were being tutored. We were being tutored <laughs> on what body language means. Mm-hmm. What is humility? What is egolessness? It's amazing the kind of love he shot on us and uh, the kind of love we had for Swami as well. And Swami visited the house as I said. Two days later is when the Karnataka State Conference happened at Lalbagh. So he came to the Jai Mahal house as well. And two days later is when Swami developed that severe pain in the legs. And he was immobilized. And that's something which I would like to share with you all. Please. This was in the year 1974. Soon after Vijuna passed away. Hmm. And Swami's leg pain, it started on the 19th of March mm-hmm. 1974. He just complained of very acute knee pain. And on the 20th March, Swami's darshan was cancelled, which he's never done. And all the devotees started wondering what had happened. My father-in-law had access to Swami's room upstairs in Brindavan. Swami was a 40-something-year-old yes. young person. Very, very young. Mm. So when Swami was immobilized, I think the kind of love which was exchanged between divinity and the devotee, my father-in-law kept praying to Swami, saying, Swami, why don't you cure yourselves? And this was the 10th day after Vijay Sai had passed away. So at home, we were doing the bhajans, but my father-in-law and Narendra Mama were with Swami inside. I think when somebody prays with such pure intent, Swami, his heart just melts. So for the sake of the devotee, it looked like, and for the sake of all the devotees who were praying so hard, he just sprinkled a little water on his leg and he just jerked it. And his right leg became all right. And then he looked directly at my father-in-law and he said, now you'd pick up that water and sprinkle it on my left leg. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. And this has been recorded by Shakuntala Balu in her book, mm-hmm. Living Divinity. And he just did that. The essence of this particular incident, I would imagine, is this exchange of bhakti between devotee and Swami and how Swami's heart melts when a devotee prays with pure intent, not for his sake, but for somebody else's sake. Selfless. And this happened on the 21st of March at Brindavan. What you say, of course, makes sense. But when Swami was hospitalized in 2010, I mean, millions of hearts prayed with the oh, same yes. intensity. Yes. He didn't respond to us. I think when he takes a decision for certain things mm. to change. Because, so there's no set pattern. There's no that telling. That is true. There was not a heart that did not beat Mm. for him. Even people who didn't believe in Swami prayed for a miracle. That's true. Maybe this had some connection with Jaisai. I'm not too sure because it was the 10th day. Maybe he had taken something. And also maybe to divert your attention to a bigger issue. Issue, absolutely. That way sometimes, you know, pain is very relative. Yes. And when we see a bigger problem, all of a sudden you forget your own pain. Absolutely. So we don't know what was in the cosmic mind. That's true. That's very true. But this was the experience of how did the family take the loss of Vijay Sai. And as you rightly said just now, I think when the bigger cause was the concern of the family at that point, mm-hmm. when Narendra Mama and my father-in-law returned home to say that Swami is now able to walk, I think all of us just heaved a sigh of relief mm-hmm. at that point. And then later on, of course, in detail, he explained what had actually happened. And this is exactly what happened, that he was an instrument in some way Swami had made my father-in-law, who was the grandfather of Vijay Sai, right. 
take on that responsibility of sprinkling the water and getting that feeling of satisfaction i see that his prayer had been answered and i see you it know some sort of healing healing yes yes, yes. Okay. So as I said hope was something which was kept alive in us till the end and even after the loss I mean the doctors had given only 6 months whereas our journey with Swami because of Vijay being there and Swami kept Vijay alive another 8 years or so yes I see now when you got married by Swami did Swami ever give you any marital advice he gave me a lamp a silver lamp Uh-huh. immediately after the marriage in the marriage panda and he said you have to be like the lamp of the house and you have to take care of your father-in-law and mother-in-law like they were your two eyes i see and you have to take care of your husband like he were your very breath Hmm. And I think there was a reason why he said that because uh, I continued living with my in-laws. We were a one happy joint family till Swami asked my father-in-law to move to Puttaparthi. And of course, even then they would come back to the family house in Bangalore. But my husband met with a very serious cardiac condition. I think I let him explain that. Uh, yeah, continuing where uh, what she had to say was uh, this happened very, very much later. This is like in 1998. that uh, i had this problem with my uh, heart which was really a problem with my uh, mitral valve which was never uh, diagnosed and uh, we had taken several trips we had returned from a trip attending my daughter's graduation in the us and uh, we came back we went to europe and spent a little time there and then returned home and just the two of us had, uh, were there and my son had gone to join my daughter and then they were going to return a little later but uh, when we came back as usual we drove first to parthi to tell swami of our return and i wasn't feeling too very good earlier to that i had been detected with a slight leak in the valve and uh, even at the super specialty hospital here and they had said nothing to worry you just have to maintain your blood pressure and so on but that day when i came i was feeling really very tired and then uh, i had also to give a wedding invitation card of my niece to swami because they wanted me to hand it over to swami first being blessed and swami came out of his interview room i was sitting right up in front in the veranda and swami took that smile and then gave me namaskar then went back in and then bhajan started so he came back was going towards the bhajan hall and was almost about to be seated there then he came back again looked at me smiled went inside and then brought out a vibhuti packet and gave it to me and uh, and that was it and then i went back home i was feeling extremely tired then then it developed into more serious breathlessness and uh, what really happened was my valve was just beginning to give way and then when we went to uh, the doctor he looked at me and uh, this was really something you know very very traumatic because go there and he says umesh i'm going to tell you something don't get very upset you can't go home i want you to go straight to an emergency room you got to be put on oxygen mm-hmm. So what followed after that was I had to be admitted and there was no chance to even talk to Swami or anything. I had to go for oxygen and so on. So I was admitted into Malia Hospital which Swami had inaugurated in Mishradi Keshulis, you know, in Bangalore. And was admitted there and was on treatment at that time for a day. And then immediately we wanted to send word to Swami that this has happened, what should we do? They are asking me to go through a surgery and... we had told them at that time that we will not undergo any surgery or give any consent until we get an okay from swami as to what should be the course of action because we didn't know whether swami wanted us to come back here the bangalore hospital was not functioning at that time and what transpired then was my sister anarendra was no longer there he had passed on but my sister was still alive and she was in whitefield and because geeta had to be with me and my son was away in the us with my daughter usha came over here and she met with swami early morning swami used to get darshan those days at about 7 i think in the mornings so uh, he came out and the first thing he did was to go towards the lady side and usha and he said no he is serious let him have his operation and done over there i'll take care of it meanwhile what had happened over there was the uh, surgeon there the duty surgeon was very very insistent that i should be having my surgery and he was really uh, you know we were very upset that we were not signing the consent form mm-hmm. at malia uh, hospital at malia hospital and that was to give the permission we said no we can't uh, sign this unless we get a no okay from so and she had to bear the brunt of it because i was in the icu or whatever in the critical care mm-hmm. unit and he kept on blasting her but you know this is where the miracle part of it comes and in I this think that again was a testing point for us whether we had completely surrendered to swami's 
you know, will and guidance. So I said, till my sister-in-law returns with the information and guidance from Swami, I'm not willing to sign any paper. And because pulmonary edema had set in. My lungs were starting to fill with and, water. Uh, this particular doctor was actually an expert at bypass surgeries. And he wanted basically to try his hand at mitral valve replacement, which was, I think, a technique which was different. But at that point, we, you know, we just held on to Swami. And that was a very good decision on our part, I must say, because uh, one of the best surgeons who was well-versed in mitral valve replacement, he had gone on a temporary leave at that point. So he rejoined duty by the time Swami sent word saying that we could have the surgery. We got a message from Parthi that we could go ahead with this doctor, Jairaj, literally the number one in India for valve surgery at that time. And he had come over from Velour and just joined Malia. It was automatically his case. And so that was what Swami... Very good hands. Very good hands. And uh, that's why I'm sitting here in front of you (laughs) today. Because this happened like almost 20 years ago, 19 years now since I've had... So, matter of fact, after that, Swami did mention that, you know, in an interview that he said, you see, I've given him a second life. It was touch and go at that point. But that was, you know, like she said, another uh, thing that we had to go through, that whole experience. And it has its own uh, learning for us because I understood the other side of medicine, the flip side where we become patients and we understand what is a patient experience Mm. and how Swami put it to use later on for us in the counseling program. But going back, I'm going back to 69, there were several visits that Swami used to make Please. to our uh, house in 69. I've always wanted to know what that oh, felt yes, like. Yes, because a couple of those things there, at that period of time, the 60s and the uh, mid-70s, that, that I think was a really a golden period for us all devotees in the sense that Swami had just emerged out of his avatarhood and all his, everybody started getting to know the Sai Avatar. But it had not come to the stage wherein after his 60th birthday in 85, you know, it started taking a different uh, curve in terms of setting up large institutions and so on. And then there was a huge change in the people that came in over here. So that 60s to 70s was a kind of a golden because it was selfish to some extent that we had more access to Swami. And Swami in that way was you could never predict what he would do. And there were I think at least several times that he would drop in unexpected into our houses. Both at her parents' place in Chamrajpet in Bangalore. My father-in-law was uh, at the bank here in Bangalore. And to our house in uh, Alsur Road. Suddenly you know he would be in the house and there would be a knock on the door and you know see a car driving in. <laughs> knock on the door and one time Swami came in and put his hand on my uh, lips and he said be quiet yes. be quiet and then Walk he walked into straight the into the kitchen and s- my mother and my mother-in-law they were cousins so they were oblivious that Swami was going to walk <laughs> in so they were busy just you know frying something and then Swami standing right behind them my god what yeah. was that like <laughs> I would have collapsed if I was the housewife there doing my cooking so that's the kind of relationship and you know, access that happened. Was the house tidy everything oh yes <laughs> well tidy in the normal sense <laughs> My God, I would be so nervous <laughs> to have such a divine visitor come unannounced. Uh, anyway, Vijay Sai was very much there and he would be in the living room in his chair and his face would light up, you know, with a big smile because he sensed Swami's coming in and he would, you know, in his own way, his eyes would start shining. And uh, But of course, he couldn't say anything. He would be there listening to some bhajan on the radio. So, and uh, Narendra was there or not there sometime because he wouldn't have come back home. And Swami would have just dropped in like this. <laughs> These were, uh, you know, moments that you still cherish. So did in. you all serve him food? Oh, yeah. Else? He would ask when he says, what have you made? Have you made any bondas or bhajis? Because those were his favorite. And, you know, asking... Or at least we assume those were his favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something which you can really, you know, prepare Make, and So he'd come back and sit, chat with the family for a little while and then he would uh, get back. What was the typical conversation around? He just asking about the family and nothing. Uh, he, the only time that he would really expound on anything was when he got the whole family together. That is the bigger, you know. The, uh, oh, then he would give us then a discourse. Then he would give a discourse uh, and talk and about uh, why things happened so. and all of a lot of discourses like that he would give. But the conversation would always revolve around. He would just say, okay, ask some question. Mm. 
and we always looked up to our elders to ask the right question because we would want Swami to stay longer. Mm. So if you keep asking questions, then he would continue to keep answering mm. them and he would stay longer with us. So it was something which we cherish a lot. And there were several such, you know, times he used to come and go. And the other thing the Gita was referring to was, uh, you know, after 68, uh, was it that Anand was college was mm. inaugurated eight right. years before? That. After that, Swami had in his mind that he wanted to have a women's college in Bangalore. I mean, just thought. And he would mention this to my father and then, of course, uh, Colonel Jogara was on the scene at that time and uh, Padminaban and a couple of other elders. So, somebody, I think it was Colonel Jogara, said uh, right opposite Dr. Sundar Rao's where he lives in Nandidurgaon, there is a big bungalow, about six acres plot. And it's right in the middle of town. Swami, that would probably be a good place to have a women's college. And very difficult to get six acres and one patch in Bangalore nowadays. So, Swami said, okay, let's go go and see it. So, I was along with my father driving the car and we came to see the place. It was just about evening, you know. And uh, then suddenly, Swami, we got down in front of this bungalow there and uh, they, were, they started going in and to get the gate open. And Swami suddenly told them, no, you people, you all go and see that uh, place. I'll be waiting for you here in uh, Sundara's house. So, this house was across the street mm-hmm. from us and on the opposite side on Alsur Road, which on those days was very quiet uh, road. So he got down there, and but he didn't want the car to come inside the house. He got down there, then he took my hand and he held my hand. He said, I haven't, I've never crossed a road in Bangalore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. Yeah. Let me crunch, he holds my hand. Here is the avatar, God, divinity, and he's holding your hand and making this conversation. And we cross the road, he's holding onto my hand, and we walk all the way across into our house. Can you, I mean, just even imagine that, that such things happen. All these opportunities were created for our bliss. Absolutely. But I was very conscious that Swami was aware of every thought of ours. And he was present everywhere because as a child of 13, and that's the kind of connect you have, uh, because he knew everything and he would just come out and tell you what was going on in your mind or what you were thinking about. And that made us very aware that we shouldn't have even one single negative thought in our mind. And once it so happened that a friend of mine, her mother ended up giving me egg omelette on bread and I ate it, not knowing that it was a Thursday. And we're traveling by train. And this was offered on the train. So when we reached home, my entire family singing bhajans and normally we would have bhajans on Thursday evenings and uh, I'm so heartbroken saying my goodness how did I eat egg on a Thursday felt so guilty and the next day we went to Brindavan because Swami was there and uh, and during those days we had just one single line starting from Swami's gate right up to the other gate mm-hmm. and maybe a second line that's all the number of devotees you know who would uh, be there in the evenings and then uh, as Swami walked by I just stood up and on my right was my mother left my aunt and they're amazed why is this girl standing up and Swami then the moment you get up he comes walking towards you so he came towards me and I said yes what is it and I said Swami without my knowledge I ate egg yesterday and I'm really sorry about that I mean to that extent you know we had the freedom to tell Swami and then Swami looks at me directly into the eyes and he says what you did you did without your knowledge right so there's nothing wrong with it don't commit a mistake knowing fully well that you're committing a mistake that mm-hmm. was his advice. And he said, take namaskar. During those days, he would just walk from inside the gate with the basket in his hand. He would carry the basket himself mm. and distribute vibhuti to everybody. And he just gave me a fistful of vibhuti. See, those are huge learning lessons which have stayed with us. Because, you know, when we took up this uh, counseling thing, something which is very important is not to be judgmental as a counselor. You know, you don't judge people. And for us, that was already ingrained into us by Swami's unconditional love. Swami's love was never tied up with any kind of a condition. This was just whatever might be your drawbacks, your faults or anything. Swami looked at that person with unconditional love. He might look at him maybe on his past karmas or whatever it is he has come to Swami. We don't know that. That is a connect between that individual and Swami. But the love that he would shower on that person, well, I've seen that happen in the world and sometimes you wonder, my God, having been in the business field, you know, this person and all his background, how could Swami be, you know? Or politicians for that matter. Or politics, yes, yeah, exactly. How is it? But then, now when you stop to think about it, you know, it dawned on me that it's basically when you say you're truly non-judgmental, 
which only with divinity it is possible. Humanly it is not possible to erase that little, little streak of having a little doubt of judgment. In the context of the patients, I guess it is like we receive a number of patients from West Bengal who have the staple as fish. So telling them to give up non-vegetarian food would not be our responsibility or in order to be judgmental that they are eating some fish because this is one of the things that we are talking about as far as counseling is concerned. That concern, you know, Swami was always, I could never understand, you know, he would make these pieces but at the same time, his vision was so broad and he knew what was the reality and what was happening and he accepted humanity as it was or as it is. Well, if he started being picky, he would not have too many people around <laughs> given the state of the Kali Yuga. Yes, we would yeah. all be dismissed. Yeah. But Swami did say publicly that if you call yourself my devotee, there are some things you cannot indulge in yes. lifestyle choices. Those include alcohol, drugs or smoking, any kind of substance abuse and meat eating. Yes, right. that's true. He has said that. Matter of fact, he said that I think in 1990. Birthday, he was very, very emphatic. 65th birthday, very emphatic. Very emphatic, he said that. So, and that is true. But again, you know, Swami is like a multifaceted diamond. So, you have to be looking at him in the context of what happens. And again, when you look at Dharma and you follow this Dharma, if you said you have listened to it, again, he tempers that by saying, use your intellect and your discrimination. See, this is more of a bigger issue at the hospital amongst the doctors because what do you tell patients who are... uh all that they can get is uh, just their fish. Seafood. Yeah. Seafood, Seafood because and the maximum number of patients come from two states in East India where the staple is fish. Absolutely. Or in, uh, from Kerala. Hmm. That's the other thing. Now the other part is we have a lot of Muslim patients coming. And there are a lot of people who are, whose profession is being a butcher. What do you tell them? I mean, what can we tell them without hurting their sentiments? Or, and it's not uh, that they are bad people. And they are so grateful to Swami. So, so we get into, I mean, we have had this discussion with our dietitian. Everybody in the hospital, you know, we say, what, what can we tell them? So we, sometimes we feel helpless. How about telling them to switch to soy protein, ragi, lentils, legumes? Um, Would you honestly tell that to a fisherman who doesn't have any access to this, who's living uh, in a shack by the seaside? And to him, that has been his life. He's living in a little fisherman's shanties there in mm, that side. That would be very impractical. impractical. And he would be a man practicing all the five values in his life. Life, yeah. Spiritually evolved, you know, but that's his, uh, that's his livelihood. livelihood. what he has access to. Uh, yes. yes. So I think that's where we need to... I think we understand Swami's and, uh, love for everybody, uh, universal, whether they are... Yes, Swami has made the statements publicly, but I think it is for the overall general good. I think that's a very good statement, you know, because we need to become vegetarians as much as possible. But we cannot judge others for being non-vegetarian. Yeah, non-vegetarian. Exactly. However, we would not encourage that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the 69 period was really something... It was the period between 69 and 70 when Swami started shifting. We shifted over to the Jaimal house and Swami started coming over there. When the organizational roots were beginning, Swami was wanting to make the foundations very firm. See, I think 68 Dharmakshetra was inaugurated and all the movement about the seva organization movements had started Swami the first seva organizations and was so conferences held yes Anantpur was inaugurated Anantpur was inaugurated and in Brindavan Swami had just then started the Brindavan college which started off as only as a pre-university college just the two years affiliated to the pre-university board in Bangalore it was not yet become a full-fledged this thing. And that was when there was also a big tussle because what do the students do after the two years is the, they have, would have to join uh, Bangalore University because to go on for the BSc or BA whatever. Otherwise, they would have to or start a university, which is what eventually happened. But that was the time when all of this was being resolved that there were people like Dr. Gokak my father, Dr. Padmanabhan, and several of these people, a few other people, NDM Appa, chairman of the electricity board. This was a core team that Swami used very, very effectively to start forming the foundations for this whole thing in Karnataka. See, a lot of these people, you know, you don't see the roots of a tree. You see the branches, the flowers, but this is what Swami was going about in that period, the 60s and the 
early 70s and i believe your mother was also quite active yeah, and balvikas was started the first mahila vibhagan bangalore the karnataka was started fact, by swami uh, narendra's appointment he came to our house and he was teaching in madras in uh, jain college in uh, 1970 when swami came to our house after the wedding and uh, professor gokak was there and uh, all of these people were there and then he told uh, narendra and uh, his father was standing there i want you to join my college will you join my college this was on the 23rd of may 1970 two days or three days after we got married yeah he'd come home after mm-hmm. the after he performed a marriage just like that and, and, uh, and without batting an eyelid swami yes swami swami wants me yes you come and join as your principal and he said and you know narendra's surrender at that stage so total that without batting an eyelid he handed in his resignation to the college oh, even without getting an appointment letter mm-hmm. so he quit his job in chennai, chennai. in madras and he went base to bangalore immediately reported. which was extremely good for vijay sai because he could have swami's constant presence mm. and connect on a regular basis here and uh, he came in at that time i think the pu board thing was there and one professor kulkarni was in charge at that time but then they shifted and i think narendra and then gokak and a few others were very actively involved with setting up of uh, there was a lot of agitation in bangalore at that time regarding this change over some of the people in whitefield did not want this to go away from them i mean the local residents not the side devotees so all of that narendra and uh, they were all involved in setting up this and then the seva dal got formed over there and, and swami would visit nearby villages as well and uh, sige hali and couple of other villages and the next day send an engineer with narendra baba saying go check in at the temples and make sure that it is all in good condition or we'll renovate that so the social service also has started yeah. side by side around yeah. that With period people like uh, mr krishnan who was then in charge of this thing our uh, sundresh's father uh, dr, dr. chandar he was one of the people who was involved in that the general and hospital uh, was started by matter of fact the general hospital in a small way was already starting to function then invite with visiting invite doctors fields. there were a doctor uh, i don't know if you know of a doctor hegde who was the yes gynecologist mm-hmm. he used to come in his three wheeler yeah uh, an auto rickshaw he used to drive that and and then that was the period swami wanted some stethoscopes to be ordered and my father went and showed him this and that's that iconic picture, picture you know black yeah. and white picture of swami very exactly shaking the heartbeat yeah. the other side is my father oh he's yeah. taking your dad's heartbeat yes yes <laughs> yeah so he's checking me so he said as soon as i wait let me check your <laughs> <laughs> so that that's my father on the other side who's stay and he had taken the stethoscope to him mm. so swami at that point i think he started laying the foundation for all of these things on which we, whether it was the seva dal whether it was the medical or whether it was the education a certain pattern started being formed and set which just has been followed there's been no, not been a major uh, change in that it's been from there it has been growth and you know shri gopal rao who was a permanent resident mm. here mm. yes he shared something with us as a family he said he would always wonder why swami had these little talks with dr sundar rao in the safe room there used to be a safe room in the mm. old thrai and he also used to think why is only dr sundar rao being taken in the car by swami so one day he just got into swami's car closed the door shut even before swami could get into the car <laughs> and then swami came and sat in the car huh. and you, you know swami pretended that he didn't know gopal rao ji was sitting at the back so he, they drove a few furlongs away from rindavan and suddenly swami turns around and he says gopal rao what are you doing in this car <laughs> uh, and then gopal rao says swami if you ask me right now i'm going to jump out of the car if you deny me this pleasure of taking a ride with you <laughs> and swami said no 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 come with me pichiwada come with me <laughs> so this was a kind of love he had for these old devotees as well as the kind of love devotees had for him like little children they became you know well when sundara can go why not i <laughs> Uh, and when he shared that with us with so much of uh, so much yeah, love, love yeah. and honestly it was like something yeah, talking of those rites was one of the rites then i think before the uh, this hanuman statue here on the hill yes hillview stadium hillview stadium mm. yes that one was i think inaugurated or built around the 60th birthday i think right. 85 right so the thing behind it was one of these drives swami was my father was going along with him and my father is a, a big hanuman bhakt 
from his childhood because there is a temple near our house in Jemal in Nandidurg Road. It's a very, very ancient. It was not really a temple. There was really a carving of Hanuman on a big rock on a hill. And it used to be called as Bande Hanuman. Bande in Kannada means a rock. And my father and his classmate, they used to go and sit there during their school days. And from that time, he was always a Hanuman. But so when Swami was taking my father and going for a round and looking at the the idea of building a stadium and what to do with that was coming up. He said, uh, Sundara, what do you think we should have on this hill? I'm thinking in terms of different uh, idols and God. And so my father right away said, Swami, we must have a Hanuman Swami. And Hanuman in full uh, this thing with uh, carrying the Sanjeevani. Sanjeevani and the, see, my father said that as a devotee and a doctor. Swami said, yes. We'll do that. And that's how that thing got started. But then when it came back to the engineers, LNT, you know the story behind that? The LNT engineer said anything like that, extended out like that, the Sanjeevani Hill, we need to put a column below that. Otherwise, it's not going to. It can't be a freestanding structure. It can't be a freestanding structure. And then Swami sat with them and showed them how exactly to design it, that it could be done as a cantilever design. Mm -hmm. But the whole origin of the story was on simple drive. And my father said, Swami, build a nice grand statue, Swami. And of course, Jogara was there at that time. Swami, whatever you tell me, I will do it. And he was also very thrilled that it was going to be a Hanuman statue. And that's how the Hanuman statue came from one of these little... Uh, and this makes us feel that Swami Sankalpa is already there. Sometimes he likes the devotee to feel that he's been instrumental in... So he speaks the words, words to them. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. and then it... Uh, and many people say that the words that came out of their mouth in Bhagwan's presence were not premeditated. Absolutely. You know where they came from. So absolutely. obviously he puts them inside yes. your mouth. Yeah. See, he never went on this drive thinking about it. He just said, I want to do something to this. What should we do? Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of Swami coming to your house so many times, just walking in, dropping by unannounced and, you know, standing behind the ladies cooking and the kind of informal familiarity that you had. During those moments, were you awake or aware of the fact that you were dealing with the divine incarnation or were there moments where the Maya enveloped and you kind of forgot who he was? Sairam, you just heard the first part of the conversation with Dr. Umesh Rao and Dr. Mrs. Geeta Umesh Rao, recorded on 4th November 2017. They were in conversation with Radio Sai's Karuna Munshi. Dear listener, you may send in your feedback as always to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and Sairam.